The first lesson uh, is taken from Psalm 77, starting with the first verse. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed to your people, the children of of Jacob and of Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon is considered one of the greatest natural wonders of the world. Millions of people every year travel miles just to look at it, and of course to get some great Instagram content. Photos of it pop up everywhere. The enormous red rock walls reflecting the colors of the setting sun make an ideal background for every imaginable motivational fitness ad or even your laptop wallpaper. And I apologize now, my uh, geological nerd's going to come out a little bit. The Grand Canyon wasn't always a canyon. At some point in its long geological history, the Colorado River began to flow. And as its flow increased, as it grew, it began to sweep away sediment along its path. Over a large period of time, layer upon layer of limestone, sandstone, and shale were swept away by the rushing water, sometimes with a drip, sometimes with a a stream. 
But this water carved, and in many places a canyon that is now over a mile deep. People who have been there say that photos simply don't do it justice. They say that words can't describe the sheer enormity of the walls, and of course how small you feel when you're in the bottom of the canyon. Many seek this same type of feeling in their faith. One of the things we all strive for is to scratch at the service to better understand our faith. Just to get it a little bit more. We want our relationship with God to be more than surface level. We all have those surface level relationships. We call them acquaintances. With people where there's some connection or at least a conversation that happens. But these acquaintances make up a very small part of our lives. We certainly don't want our relationship with God to be like that. We want our connection with him to be the most real and meaningful. We want our relationship with God that looks like this and not like this. But how is a canyon formed? A canyon is formed over time through erosion through the slow and the fast rushing water, carving away at the rock and sweeping away the loose pieces. A deep relationship with God is not much different. It's formed over time, and usually a lot longer than we'd like. But it's done through the erosion of our false ideas of who God is and false expectations of the ways he works. And the rushing river that does this work, that's the Holy Spirit. In the passage we just read, this psalm or song, we see some vivid vivid imagery. But we also feel the tug of the heart of the author as the psalmist cries out to God. Asaph talks about reaching out to God, and although he knows that God will hear him, he questions whether God is near. Then in the second half of the psalm, we see Asaph reflecting on the wonders of God, his faithfulness. And those he used to lead his people. The psalm has sections which look a bit like this. The psalmist cries out to God in anguish. Then he reflects on life before his current suffering. We then see the psalmist's faith bring him about to see that indeed God has been faithful. The same God that has provided, performed miracles, and led their people. Let's switch gears a little bit here. In our middle school ministry called SURF and in our refuge high school ministry, we have this thing that we do in our small groups called, it's a check-in. We call it highs and lows. Each week our adult leaders ask our youth to share their highs and lows from the past week or the upcoming one they're preparing for. The highs are ways that we can thank God, that we praise him. The lows are where we have an opportunity to share a burden and pray for one another. These highs and lows can be anything. We tell the students that nothing's off the table. A high can be an A on a paper, or a fun trip, or even how they see God working in their lives. Likewise, a low can be a sick family member, a friendship fallout, or a personal struggle for a teen. These leaders spend time in God's word, prayer, and I usually rope them into embarrassing games. They tirelessly teach them how to do life authentically, and they model that for our youth, and to rely on Christ through faith 
Our Sunday school VBS Grapple and Webs leaders do the same with our K-5 through kids. These adult leaders do this by faith, many with their own families, and usually after a long day of work. So as I prayed and reflected on this scripture, I couldn't help but think of these highs and lows that are such an important part of our youth small group. Isn't life just like this? We see in the verses. Life brings highs and it certainly brings lows. We definitely feel this day to day. And certainly more so in the last couple of years. We also experience spiritual highs and lows. And our faith mirrors this trajectory. As the writer of the psalm questioned if God had moved away from them, we can feel this in our faith as well. Conversely, there are times where we feel completely secure with our faith, solid, unwavering. As we continue to celebrate Christmas this week, it is a time in the year where we can exceedingly feel this. Whether the excitement of preparation for our coming king is a time of spiritual nourishment for you, or that the busyness and the stress of the season just drains you and brings you low. Or for many of us, right in the middle. Just as the author of this psalm, we too can and should reflect on who God is in this Christmas season, despite how we feel. And this chapter is a window into the structure of faith. First, it all starts with God. It has to. Without God, without his means of grace, of faith, we would have nothing to place our faith in. Our hope, faith, and salvation is found in God. And only God. He is our firm foundation. That highs and lows cannot move. Secondly, we see in the same verse, we know that God hears us when we cry out. He knows our lows. He knows our daily needs. He is with us. Our God, our faith in God has substance. It carries weight. It is not hollow. And this is despite how we feel. So what is deeper faith? What does this mean for us? During our time, we'll dig into this a bit more. We will first look at what faith is not. Faith is not just knowledge of God. It is not just the belief that God exists, nor that Jesus Christ exists, nor is it knowledge of Scripture. We know that the enemy possesses all of this knowledge, Yet he most certainly does not have faith in Jesus Christ. So faith is not to be equated with knowledge. This is not to discount the study of scripture or to seek God's self-revelation through his word. These are vitally important in our lives. So we come to live on the authority of God's word. In fact, this morning we looked at scriptures that clearly defines faith for us. This starts with examining the law and the gospel. The law shows us that faith is truly a means of grace for two reasons. The law, which cannot fulfill or we cannot fulfill or live up to, is in itself not fulfilled or abolished by faith. We know this from Matthew 5:17, as Jesus taught. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Next, the law shows us the need for a faith in something bigger and more substantial than us. 
The Gospel of John points out the need to preach the law as truth. Simply put, that without the law, we lack an understanding of the weight of sin and the weight of our redemption. This is why Jesus himself is the only fulfillment of the law. Then we look to the gospel. So what is faith in light of the gospel? Faith is the personal trust and confidence in the wonderful message of the gospel that God, for Christ's sake, is gracious to all who believe in the atoning blood of his Son, shed on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. In the words of John Theodore Mueller, faith has for its object the forgiveness of sins, which was secured by Christ's perfect obedience and is now offered to all sinners in the gospel. Faith is then trust in the gospel, trust in God's faithfulness, and trust in our redemption through the blood of Christ. Nothing we know can compare to the raw magnitude of God's grace. But God doesn't stop there with us. See, the amazing thing about God is that he never stops working in us or through us. Never. No matter how we feel. No matter how distant we are. No matter if we're in the deepest valley and feel that God has turned away from us. As we cry out to God. We remember his promises and we trust. Because he does indeed hear us time and time again. And so we trust. In this faith, God takes the same faith, even the size of a mustard seed, and he uses it to change us. Just as God did through Moses and Aaron, he will lead us, mold us, and work his good purpose through us. Who here has ever doubted themselves? Ever asked themselves if what they're doing is worth it? Have you ever felt like you're going about life blind or directionless? I know that many of us have at one time or another asked these questions or those that are similar. So this leads us to where our minds inevitably go. How do we know that we have authentic and real trust or faith in God? We may say, I want to believe. I'm trying in my daily life. But how do I know that I've made it? How do I know that my faith measures up? Our answer to this is baptism, or rather the sacraments. Baptism in the Lord's Supper, as we will be blessed by soon, when we try to measure ourselves up to something that is of God, we will always fall short. Our faith is never good enough, because God's grace was never dependent on our level of faith. Jesus takes our inequity and covers it in his grace, in his blood, This is one of the reasons we have open communion and baptize at all ages. It is a sacrament by Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is God's grace and his gift which we receive in baptism and communion. And this same measure applies to faith. Should we seek God? Of course. Should we seek to live under the authority of God's word? Again, of course. 
These things show that we earnestly seek and trust God. But God does not measure up our faith and say whether it is enough or not. Jesus is enough. Jesus covers our weaknesses, our questions, and our faith. So again, how do we know that we possess authentic faith? 1 Corinthians 2.14 and Ephesians 1.19 and Romans 8.23 show even the desire to be saved through Jesus Christ is already actual faith. This is because this desire is never found in an unrepentant heart with no desire to seek God. The Holy Spirit leads in this way. Further, faith is tangible in works. Not works for our own salvation or to better ourselves, but works in response to God's grace. In James chapter 2, starting in the 14th verse, the word explains that faith without works is dead. The Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ brings us to live out our faith, to lean ever steadily towards Christ in our lives. Now, it would be easy for us to say that faith is clear in Scripture, but difficult in practice. We've all felt that way. In truth, the work has been done and continues to be done, but not by our own effort. Our effort is all in the desire to be saved. This is tied to one of the central tenets that spurred our brother in Christ, Martin Luther, In fact, he stated the doctrine of justification is the doctrine by which the church stands and falls. It has been misinterpreted and misused in the centuries since. But to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ is a core foundation of our Christian faith. To be justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So despite the highs and lows of life, and of course, the highs and lows of our faith. This psalm reminds us of in whom we place our trust and in whom we rightfully cry out to. Author G. Campbell Morgan wrote this on this psalm. The message of this psalm is that to brood on sorrow is to be broken and disheartened, while to see God is to sing on the highest day. Once we come to know that our years are of his right hand, there is light everywhere. Another theologian wrote, Days of trouble must be days of prayer and days of inward trouble, especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us. We must seek him and seek till we find him. In the day of his trouble, he did not seek for the diversions of busyness or recreation to shake off his trouble that way, but he sought God and his favor and his grace. Those that are in the trouble of mind must not think to drink it away or laugh it away, but to pray it away. How often have you found your faith strong during the day, but troubled at night? In those late evening hours, or more likely the early morning hours when you struggle to sleep. In our faith, we must remember the other type of faith we see in Scripture. God's faithfulness. Remember the many, many highs and lows of the Israeli nation in the Old Testament. God would bless the nation of Israel, lead them into something new, provide for their needs. But the people would always forget. There would be judgment, but also grace 
time and time again. It's easy when we study the Old Testament to look back and point a finger at the Israelites and how they failed. But in reflection, it's just as easy to see it in our lives. But we have to remember our faith and trust is in God. So what is most important is God's faithfulness throughout time. God's faithful work through leaders like Moses and Aaron and so many others. God's faithful work through sinners and through us today. God's presence is seen and felt throughout the Old Testament as we saw from this psalm. But God's presence is now within us, building and reinforcing our trust, our faith in God. So as we close our reflection on God's word here in Psalm 77, let us remember these important markers of Christ that we see. In verse 1, the psalmist says, I cried out to God with my voice. Jesus hears our cry. In verse 14, it says, you are the God who does wonders. Jesus is the God who does wonders. In verse 20, you led your people like a flock. Jesus is the great shepherd. Closing, I want to challenge us all with this. Remember that our faith is in Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to redeem us to him through his humble incarnation death on the cross, and his triumphant resurrection. So let us be resolute this year to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, to live out our faith in response to the gospel, and to seek deeper faith by living under the authority of Scripture. Amen.